And we're live. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Edward E.M. Hansel, which is how he writes under, or what he writes under. But uh, Edward, can you introduce yourself to the uh, listeners and viewers? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Ed Hansel. Um, I do go by E.M. Hansel. Uh, my father's uh, in the process of trying to write a book, and I let him steal the Ed Hansel, and I went with E.M. Hansel. So uh, found a, myself unemployed over um, the COVID pandemic, all of 2021, and so... Uh, Avalon Found was born. So uh, first book, very much enjoyed it, um, learned a lot, and working on number two now. Okay. And the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So Ed actually found us, I think it was probably in the Scott Bartlett fan club, um, yes. but it was before he'd even written this novel. And uh, And so when he did write it, we knew we had to invite him to come on the show and here we are with his debut novel. So, all right. Before we get started, sir, we have to do it. The religion question. Star Wars, yeah. Star Trek, or Firefly? I'm going to say it's Star Wars and Star Trek. They're equal. You know, they're each in uh, their own different galaxy. So, uh, uh, both of them equal. Okay, and now because we are polytheistic, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? Um, I'm going to go with Lord of the Rings. That's always been my favorite. It's a classic. You can't go wrong with it. No. So we like we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, well, I think it, it started off with uh, fantasy and then uh, rolled into science fiction real quickly after that. Uh, it was the old classics, Heinlein and, uh, you know, those uh, while I was reading the um, Lord of the Rings. So I would I would bounce around with some of those. Okay. Um, what is your first memory of engaging in spec fic? Did, was it um, reading? Were there games, TV shows? Like, where did you discover this space? Um, it was it was in high school, looking for some cool books to read. Kind of got into you know, gee whiz, I want to read something, and I was tired of reading uh, you know the the you know Huckleberry Finn, which was required for uh, your English class. So um, I I took off with uh, the Hobbit and. Um, Really, really enjoyed that. And then from there, everything just was like, okay, what's another book I can read that I, I can enjoy and get lost in? So uh, it was the rest of the Lord of the Rings. Then it was um, off to the sci-fi. Did you ever watch the animated Hobbit cartoon that came out late 70s, early 80s? I did, and I thought they did a terrible job. <laughs> Was it the I, I graphics that were terrible, or you thought their interpretation was terrible? Um, uh, well, for one, I didn't care for the graphics. Um, you know, they, they they came out with a few of those, and I thought, you know, all right. But I didn't think they did. I thought they tried to do the book justice. I just didn't think they got there. Um, you know, uh, I thought the the latest series that uh, you know last ten or, or you know fifteen twenty years ago that they did of the uh, Lord of the Rings, where it wasn't animated. 
was much better. And they even threw in some of the uh, symbolism and other things in there that you would only recognize if you read the book. Um, and that was, I thought they, they, they uh, stayed much more true to form. Okay, that's a good answer. Um, I actually enjoyed it, but I watched that before I had read the book, so it sort of helped. Mm -hmm. um, so what is it about the speculative fiction genre writ large that you love so much? Um, you know, it's the same thing with Star, uh, with Star Trek and, and um, you know, that they provide what the future could be. You know, different things that we uh, that were like, hey, that would be really cool. Um, you know, the artificial gravity, the uh, inertial dampeners, uh, you know, faster than light speed. Um, you know, the, we always say the communicator turned into a cell phone. You know, we now have Apple watches, all of that fun technology. You know, we were thinking, wow, that would be really cool when we were kids. And we used to play that we had that. And today we do. So uh, those are the things I liked is that, uh, you know, the imagination of what could be. Have you followed the um, the X prizes that do um, like one of them they did was you had to invent the tricorder, which could diagnose medical issues. And so they actually have uh, challenged corporations to design some of the tech from Star Trek and they've done it for some of it. Mm -hmm. As, you so know, they did have funny. a. Uh, Go ahead. As you say, they did have the rudimentary app, which could diagnose, although, you know, anybody that's played with WebMD knows how dangerous that is if you don't know what you're already doing anyway. Um, yes. And then they had uh, Miguel Kubli um The guy that did, he, there's, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It starts with an M, but he designed the warp drive. Um, oh, cool. a, a mathematical formula for it. I saw that. Yeah, I think um, I saw that actually on the, uh, the Scott Bartlett um uh, Facebook page, you know, either that or the four. Yeah. Both he, of them throw stuff out. Oh yeah. But anyway, so he, he designed it based on, um, the, the Star Trek stuff. He was inspired to see if he could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. That sounds really cool. I actually, on the tricorder side, I actually, um, gosh, it's gotta be, 2013 2012 2013 i actually got into some stock that turned out to be um uh not what it was really caught up to be and and uh, luckily i didn't put too much money into it but it went belly up and their claim was something very close to the tricorder type situation where it could uh it could read um medical uh diagnosis with a small handheld device about the size of a cell phone Oh, was that that one with the uh, Steve Jobs wannabe lady? No, huh? It wasn't. It wasn't that one. Uh, that was a Cronus, I think it was. Uh, this was something else. Yeah. I have to look it up. I don't even think I have the the records of it. But uh, you know, I bought some penny stocks. You know, threw a couple hundred bucks into some penny stocks, and once it got frozen by the um, Securities and Exchange Administration, I'm like, oh, I got duped. <laughs> so and, it's one of those things where, like. It sucks that you, you get duped trying, but if you don't at least try, like if you don't, if people aren't willing to try on some of this new tech, you don't end up with the funding for, for the next stage of, of whatever, you know? Yeah, and I, yeah exactly. uh, I looked it up real quick. It was the Miguel Alcubier warp drive, which was uh, faster than light travel based on calculations he created 
uh, because he was inspired by, he's a physicist inspired by Star Trek. So he sat down and he wrote the mathematical equation that makes it work. The problem with it is, is it requires more energy output than the sun will put out in its lifetime. So obviously there are flaws, but in yes. theory, it is possible. Yes. The, yes. So I um, thought that was kind of cool. And I will link a Wikipedia article for you, dear listener, so you can check it out. Cause I probably butchered his uh, pronunciation. He's a, a Mexican um, scientist. Okay. That I'm going to even, so look I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. My, my thing also for me was uh, if you look at the gateway foundation, they created uh, a Voyager station and that is kind of, a, they're trying to raise funds to create the first commercial uh, space station up uh, in earth orbit that would be, uh, you know, private or corporately funded. And that was the inspiration for my, uh, my generation ship, which, uh, Will come up in a I saw that I've seen the ads for that and it looks promising but you know whether that's real or just a really good infographic that somebody made up um it, it was impressive looking though they were going to try to make it into a hotel to fund it, it yes they're actually like a, I guess uh, a space hotel they're selling stock right now <laughs> the orbital assembly corporation I think is the name of it I've gotten a few emails asking if I want to buy stock in that but uh, uh, it's another one of those where you know you, you get in it penny stock and you you hope it's going to take off and and go from there so um, I like the concept and it made a great 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 thing for my book I reached out to them and asked for permission to uh, to use it and they said yes so um, uh, I ran with it so um, how did your love of all things scientific and speculative fiction, the genre, transitioning in, into you deciding to write stories in this space? I've written some small short stories here and there for, uh, you know, school or, uh, you know, even even in church, I would write short stories that would go with lesson plans that they needed. So I would do a few things like that, that you know, kind of had a purpose and so forth. And. Uh, you know, my my father was always ed egging me on to, you know, hey, right, 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 do it. And um, when I was unemployed all through the uh, COVID pandemic, you know, we were all sitting at home. I, uh, you know, sat down in front of the keyboard. I actually had a, be a beginning and an ending. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. And, and uh, you know, one chapter turned into two. And next thing I know, I had uh, I had a book. Nice. So many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that you feel like shaped you as a storyteller? Yeah. And there's actually a couple of spots in there that, uh, you know, had some, uh, some personal experience or, or uh, memories of how something were or what they could be um, absolutely throughout it. Yes. With several characters or several instances in the book. All right, from real life to the page, I like it. So, <laughs> transitioning from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. Have you gotten any cool fan art or cosplay yet? I haven't. I would love to get some. If somebody's out there doing something, by all means, go out to my uh, website and and send me a, a a picture or something. Let me know. I'd love to put it on my site. Uh, you know, uh, might even end up with something in a, in my book, you know, in, in the next couple books that I'm looking at doing. Okay. So has anybody asked for, you know, uh, your autograph since you started writing? 
I've had a few people that have asked me to sign a book. They bought a book and and uh, brought it to me and asked me to sign it. Uh, you know, the uh, those that are close to me, um, you know, kind of friends, coworkers. They're like, yeah, I bought a book, but it needs your signature. All right, here you go. Let me let me pen my name. So uh, it felt weird the first uh, half a dozen times. You know, I've also sent some off to uh, those that have helped me. Um, those that are kind of mentioned in the book, the authors that were an influence in, in helping me get my book over the finish line or, you know, hey, Ed, you, this needs to be fixed in your book. Uh, those I sent off uh, signed copies as well. Okay. So this is the part, Edward, where we talk about, or Ed, sorry, um, where we talk That's about everything right. you have written. So Reader's Digest version of your body of works. Um. Sorry, Reader's Digest version is in what it's about. No, no. How many? What have you written? Your published oh. works. Oh, my published work is is basically Avalon Found. That's that's the only published work I've ever done. Uh, anything else I've done has just been for uh, small uh, myself or for a, um, a a class I was taking. Or like I said, I used to write a couple Bible sh uh, short Bible stories to go with a lesson plan in in, in church. So have you uh, thought about publishing any of those short stories at I some have, point in time yes. or a collection? Absolutely. I think I'm going to do a different pen name on those. Um, I'm actually trying to, um, the, they're only in my head because they were, uh, they were a while ago. So I'm, I'm thinking about, oh yeah, you wrote about this and you wrote about that. Um, you know, similar to the, uh, I tried to do the, uh, the Christmas one that you're, you're putting out your book there. I tried to get something in that and I just, you know, get a little start on it. So maybe that'll be its own little short story later. I'd love to see it if you do. Um, <laughs> well, you you did make it obvious and easy for us to determine what we're going to talk about then. So where did you get the premise for Avalon Found? Like, how did you come up with the idea for this universe? Um, I, wanted it, I wanted something. I was looking for something that wasn't done. I didn't want to do kind of space battles. I wanted to do something unique outside of space battles. So it's not, you know, fighting aliens or anything. And I thought, let's have it be the hardships of, uh, you know, settling a new planet. And um, so, you know, originally it was going to be, you know, the ship, the generation ship, once it entered the heliosphere and started approaching the planet and it had to slow down to reach the planet. And then it was life on the planet afterwards. And that, you know, then a ship coming from Earth saying, hey, what happened? How come we haven't gotten any contact with you? So those were the three things that started. And the generation ship as it's coming towards the planet turned out to give away too much of the plot. So I was advised strip that out. And that's actually going to be a prequel now. It'll probably be a short story prequel. I don't think I can turn that into, uh, you know, a full book. It'll probably be a much smaller book. Okay. Um, so before we dig into the novel itself, we're going to take a moment. I'm going to throw up this amazing cover. So can you tell us the story of this art? It, uh, it definitely is vibrant and it stands out. Thank you. Um, I looked for, you know, obviously I didn't have enough. Uh, I kept my expenses extremely low on on uh, publishing. So I didn't really have enough money to go out and hire somebody to, to create this. So I spent a lot of time looking at free artwork online. 
and I found this uh, this picture, and I thought that's it. I want this picture, and so um, it was on one of those free sites that I could just go ahead and use. But I sought out the um, the artist, um, reached out to them, and uh, Michael Merrick, and emailed him and said, "Hey, I'm writing a book. I love your artwork. I want to use it as a cover." And he said, "Go right ahead. Please do." So um turned it into that i actually had some different font in there and i had that out either on a science fiction facebook page or um the 20 to 50 facebook page and somebody said hey this is the these are the fonts you want to use if you're writing a, a science fiction book maybe you should look at one of those and so i did and upgraded the uh, the font but other than that i tried to keep it very simple nice and plain. I, I like the planet. It kind of pops and that's what I wanted. Okay. Well, before we um, dive in too deeply, we're going to take a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. So, so please be patient for this commercial interview. The Terran Empire is dead. Long live the Empire. Commander Jared Mertz, the bastard son of the Emperor, and his half-sister, Princess Kelsey, barely speak to one another. To their dismay, their father seizes an opportunity to change that and sends them on a dangerous quest to explore the fallen empire. Separated from home by an impassable gulf and struggling to redefine their relationship, they find themselves thrust into a vicious war. Unless they work together to stop the empire's deadly legacy, billions face a horrific fate. Empire of Bones, written by Terry Mixon, now available at Amazon.com. All right, thank you for sticking with us, and thank you, Terry, for sponsoring this uh, this episode. So let's uh, talk about the novel itself. What would your 30-second elevator pitch for Avalon find, Found be? Um, the, the best way I can describe it is, um, you know, this book is a part where they're descendants from Earth. They came over on a generation ship. They've been there long enough. They've forgotten that they're from Earth. And uh, one of the characters finds a remnant of the ship in orbit and goes to the temple priest and says, hey, what are you, here's what I have. Look what I found. And they say, nothing to see here. Move along. Well, he finds another thing in the stars and he goes back to them and the temple decides that they're too dangerous with this knowledge. And so all hell breaks loose. So uh, it's, it's his journey of finding out that what it is that's coming towards them and, and all the, uh, the temple chasing them and the whole story behind evading and finally coming up to what the truth is. Okay. That is a, um, a good premise. So what do you think that makes this universe special? Um, this one, I think, is is uh, the planet doesn't. Uh, I'm kind of giving away something here. The planet does not have um, heavy metals in there. It's it's not a an, an iron rich planet where they've decided to settle. So they have all this knowledge that they can't really use because they don't have the means to make or build any kind of industrial uh, uh, base. So it's almost that uh, pre-industry you know, copper age kind of time period is what they have. They can't build, you know, gee whiz, there's, there's plans for how to build an airplane, but no metal to do it. 
they don't have the means to make it they don't have the means to do it so it kind of takes place in that period of time or in that you know what would be a period of time or era in history so is this more on the fantasy side or do you still consider this sci-fi it has to it it has to be sci-fi because you got you know you they 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 settled a planet from from a generation ship it's kind of a an in between in that regard you know um I could have almost written a whole different book and turned it into a, a post-apocalyptic, but I wanted these guys are on a planet, don't know where they came from, don't have the industrial base to do anything to get into the industrial age, and you know uh, a religion has popped up and taken over. You know they're the thought police um, and the troubles with that. Uh, so it it's not a fantasy because there's you know it's not dragons and sword fights. Okay, so which tropes do you feel like Avalon found fits the best or hits the best? I think it it it, it definitely hits the science fiction, um, and I would also say it's a good young readers book too. It's a it's a great young readers book. It it, it doesn't have um, I want to say if you know you're trying to keep a movie PG thirteen or something like that. I've done the same thing with the book. I've kept it to the point where. Um, there are situations that can occur that you might go, oh my goodness, um, but it doesn't go into the detail that uh, would keep it out of a young reader's book. Was that intentional? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there's, what genre, go ahead. My apologies. There's a, uh, a book that uh, I read when I was a, a kid another fiction book that was kind of post-apocalyptic. Um, Paul O. Williams wrote the uh, Pelbar cycle and he wrote something very similar in, you know, what kind of a, his was post-apocalyptic, but he wrote it where there was a lot of situations, adult situations, real situations that people come up with. But, you know, instead of using cuss words, they were calling each other fish guts and slime balls and, you know, things like that. So it, it kept it, clean in that regards. And I tried to do something with this too, is I didn't have uh, a whole lot of foul language or, or anything like that so that it would appeal to the uh, uh, young readers. Okay. So what genre or subgenres do you feel like this story fits the best into? You already mentioned broadly that it was sci-fi, but, but what subcategory of sci-fi do you feel like this hits? Hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what those subcategories are really. So that's why I haven't been able to, you know, I, I, I'd love to find out so that, uh, you know, I can nail it down, especially on Amazon so that I can, you know, get it where people are going to find it when they look for something of that style of a book. Okay. So if any of the readers have read it and uh, have some ideas, he'd love to hear it. Absolutely. But, uh, let's take it. Let's uh, talk about the story itself. So what can you tell us about the main character and what do you think makes him stand out in the crowded field of science fiction? Um, the main character, he's kind of, uh, he's, I want to say the, the naive guy with high integrity, you know, he's uh, sometimes might be clueless about what's going on around the world because he thinks he's always thinking good of the people that he will miss the, uh, um, when maybe he's, somebody's trying to swindle him, something like that. Um, 
he's always, uh, you know, he's, I put him as a tradesman. He's always helping people. Um, he's, um, uh, trying to keep himself busy, trying to invent new things for everybody. And, um, um, you know, his integrity and, and his honesty sometimes will get him into trouble. Okay. Uh, was he the only main character or were there multiple? No, he's got, he has his sidekick, his best friend. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the three main ones are the, um, the local village priest. Um, then Joka, you know, Jokup is the, uh, the main character, his best friend, which is Edmund. And then the, uh, Donov, which is the, uh, the local village priest, the three of them are kind of, uh, partnered together. And then it kind of, uh, you know, they build a merry band as they go. It kind of expands as they, uh, go through the book and pick up new characters. But uh, Jokup is number one, and then Edmund would be his sidekick. So would were there other secondary characters that, that stood out to you? The When I started the book, the one character that was kind of a surprise was, um, uh, was probably Jokup's brother. I had no idea putting him in and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, he'll fit here. I'm going to put this guy here. He, cause I, I mentioned that he has, uh, that he has, a uh, um, some brothers. Um, but, uh, one of them kind of joins the group later on and that was totally unintentional. Had no idea of even putting him in the book, just kind of, Oh, he had two brothers. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think they'll get a larger role in any future books or, or are they still going to stay secondary? Yeah, they'll probably still stay secondary. I was going to say the other main character that came out is, you know, you have to have your villain. And there was one villain, um, high priest that, um, you know, as I, as I first wrote him, some of the other people came back and said, Ed, you need to, you need to show more of why this guy's a villain. You need to create more about him so i had to go and think of all right how do i make somebody more evil or more yuck than they are <laughs> um so uh you know he's uh he's in book one only uh but the others yes i've already started adding in in uh the second book um it's another city on the planet that um the uh that they're going to engage and talk with and i've already brought in some of the characters from there Okay. So speaking of characters, if yours met you in a back alley and they knew that you were the EM Hansel that made their life difficult, how do you see that interaction playing out? <laughs> um, Jokup, because he's, he's, he's always the, uh, the good guy. Um, I think he would be like, you know, why did I have to go through all of this? Um, why couldn't it have been easier? Because that's just the kind of person he is. Um, uh, Donov, I think in the long term, he's just like, you know, it was the will of the gods. So um, therefore, um, I'll walk through it. Um, Clancy, who was his, uh, Jacob's brother, he was kind of a loner. So I don't think he, he would be surprised if he, you know, if he ran into me. I think he'd be like, yep, that's who I am. Okay. So did you write this novel in first or third person? Um, I wrote it, uh, I wrote it, it isn't in first, it is in third person and, you know, kind of a past tense, um, situation. I started writing in first 
and I knew I very early on I was going to have trouble with it. So I kind of had to switch it out. Okay. Um, so we're going to ask you for a second where you give us a sneak peek behind the curtains. So were there any cool scenes that uh, had to get cut from the final book that uh, that would be entertaining? You know, I actually had to cut everything from the generation ship coming in to the planet. I had uh, several bits and pieces that kind of dropped in there because I wanted, you know, it was like all of a sudden you'd get a, a little sneak peek of what was happening on the ship as it was slowing down to arrive at the planet. Um, I used the idea of, you know, the Voyager took 17 years to get to the edge of our solar system. So I kind of made it that it was going to be, uh, you know, 15 or 16 years that this, this ship had to slow down from how fast it was going in order to uh, uh, properly reach orbit um, so they could settle a planet. So I, I had all of that occurring, you know, going through a, um, an asteroid field, um, you know, other mishaps that occurred on the ship um, as they were coming close to the planet. And all of that is gonna actually turn into a, uh, a prequel. I'll be able to reuse that and, and make another story with it. Do did they know that the planet was not metal rich in minerals when they went there? They did not know where they settled was not rich in minerals. They did, you know, they, they didn't do their due diligence. They picked a spot. They expected that they would be able to, you know, okay, like any, you know, earth, iron, and those minerals are all over. But I, I um, kind of put this as the tectonic plates were a little thick there and they didn't get the metals. They're on another part of the planet. And so when they got there, they didn't have any ability to get to where those metals are in large enough capacity to do anything. So that's probably the weakest part of the book. If you want to pick it apart about, you know, geology and, um, you know, how planets form and so forth, that's probably the weakest part, but I went with it. You know, my first thought was having a copper core. Well, copper, doesn't give you a protective at, you know, a, a magnetic field like earth does. You have to have an iron core. So I'm like, well, <laughs> let's change it up a little bit. Oh, it's not that it's, so it's not that they don't have metals. It's just that they don't have the ability to reach where they are. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, and if you don't have, if you didn't expect that, then you might not have brought the appropriate equipment to drill it. So that's actually not that far fetched. Yeah, the, the idea was they had fabricators, so they could go for the raw materials and build everything they wanted with fabricators. But if you don't have any raw materials, your fabricators are nothing. That was the idea. You know, 3D printing on a larger scale. Okay. So other than, you know, the fact that the uh, metals are an issue, what can you tell us about the universe where the story takes place? Um. It's uh, it's supposed to be close enough that it only took a couple of generations of people on the ship to get there. Um, the other area, gravities like uh, 1.2 Earth or Earth gravity. Um, I didn't even go. I haven't even thought about you know how long it takes to uh, go around the sun. I did give it two moons. So uh, when I get to the point where somebody's along the sea, I'll probably have to do some more uh, you know tidal. Um, impact will be greater but uh that's a that's a future book okay 
So is Avalon found? It's definitely going to be part of a series, you think, or yes. or is this a standalone Ab- novel? Absolutely, it is going to be a, it's a, on the front cover, book one of the Avalon series. So um, I'm working on the the second book. I can probably uh, give you a little s- sneak peek on on that. Um, and I'm I'm looking probably about four or five. I've got the I'm just trying to pick different. Um, style of government, different style of, uh, you know, what's going on there. Like the second book, I have slavery in it. Um, the, uh, the city is, if you're, if you're familiar with Mexico city, it used to be on a, it used to be on a lake. And so they used to have long causeways to get out to the middle of the city and they used to, uh, grow their crops on barges. So I've kind of taken that as what my city is for the second book. And they, uh, you know, because they're in the middle of a lake, they can't, you know, their their society doesn't grow as fast and so forth. So they actually go outside the city and, and round up the guys out there and uh, give them, you know, force them into slavery. And so it's going to tackle that as well as, uh, you know, gee whiz, they, they're not alone. They're part of, a, you know, uh, Earth. And how do we rectify that and kind of bring them into the bigger family in another book? Okay. So every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and or magic. So what sort of tech could we expect from these books then if, uh, if they don't have access to the metal? Well, as, as they reconnect with earth, the, the, the thing that I did uh, put in the book is the, uh, um, it's is they can bend space now. They have found the the technology to bend space. It's not a warp drive. It's not um, you know uh, stargates or anything like that that get or wormholes that get them from point A to B. They've they've learned they've built the technology to bend space, so they can go a couple couple hundred or a couple light years. I'm not sure exactly which yet, but um, uh, the idea was that bend space, go from one point to the other. You know, fold a piece of paper and and you're there. Okay, I like it. So um, when the when the they reconnect, and obviously if you can't answer this because of spoilers, I understand. When they reconnect with the other humans from Earth or wherever, does that happen in book one or does that uh, follow on books? That, that does occur in book one and it will continue to follow on in book two. Um, it will book two. I've actually kind of made it that, uh, you know, they don't speak English well in, in book two. So, you know, it's not being, you know, I, I feel comfortable giving this away where, you know, there's a scene in there where they, they finally make contact with that second city and everybody says, you know, they talk the language of the originals, you know, and, uh, well, I didn't study that. I can't speak that that well. And, you know, so broken English as they learn to speak with each other again. So uh, that that's been kind did of fun. You have for them. So did they speak their own language on Avalon, or did you have them using another? In in uh, book roots? one, I just say they talk funny, but they speak English. But in book two, uh, they will have uh, their own language. Um, I'm not going to create a language there. I'll have them talking like in English. You know, they'll read it like in English. But when they're interacting with each other. The individuals that are uh, uh, in the second book talking with um, 
the characters from the first book or the characters that came from Earth, <clears throat> they'll have some uh, dialogue um, difficulties. Okay, so with the arrival of people from other planets that have been forgotten about, do you address how that affects their religion? Um, the first one, I, it does have its own religion, uh, definitely its own religion, and I do cover that. I, I don't necessarily want to give that away. Um, that's uh, okay. I'll, I'll let that's people fair. read to discover that. The second book, um, I've kept religion out of it. I'm letting the book tell me this, you know, as I write, I'm letting it kind of tell me what's going to happen. Um, it's, there's already been a couple of points there where I thought, you know, I'd outlined it and it's already gone a different direction as I'm writing. I'm like, wow, this is what the character I think would do instead of what I had outlined. Um, uh, and so far, there's no religion, real religion in this one yet. Okay. So does this universe have aliens in it? No, I'm uh, no, no aliens in it. It's it's kind of too early to tell. It's um, uh, the you know we're just settling. This is like one of the first planets outside our solar system that we have uh, we've settled, and we've just learned how to you know bend space or in that case go beyond uh, light speed where we can jump from A to B. Um, <clears throat> So they're, they haven't expanded too far in the universe to be able to see any alien life. And we'll see. I don't know what the universe has in hold for us. So this is going to, obviously you don't have aliens, but if you were going to create them in a different work of fiction, how would you go about doing that, do you think? Would you let nature inspire you, your nightmares, create something out of whole cloth? Sometimes it's fun to talk about how you might create these kinds of uh, creatures that don't exist in the real world. You know, I have thought of it, if I write something, either a, uh, another series or if I in, have them in here, and I'm not sure yet exactly what I do. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, uh, water creatures, uh, air creatures, bugs, you know, I, I don't know what I would pick or whether it would be some kind of a humanoid. Um, if you go the humanoid, kind of the, uh, the, the Star Trek, kind of series then they they always picked that you know we were the universe was uh or the galaxy was populated with some kind of earth like earth like beings and i don't know what i would do yet okay so this was a, a little bit of a shorter interview just because you know with you being relatively new a lot of your experiences outside of just you wrote the novel weren't they haven't happened for you yet. But uh, before we, we wrap this up, was there anything that we didn't ask about Avalon Found that you wanted to tell us? Is it going to be available in all formats? Is it wide? It's it's on Amazon right now. I haven't made it go wide. I'm, I'm looking at what it takes to put it on Ingram Sparks. Um, I do want to have it narrated. I'm not sure if I want to turn it over to somebody else or if I want to narrate it myself. Um, I, I like the thought of narrating it myself just because, you know, if you've uh, listened to uh, any of Nathan Lowell's uh, early works that he has on Podio, uh, I like them better than I like what I hear on uh, audiobooks. So, you know, I'm just wondering if I'm just trying to be nostalgic about that or uh, if if that would be uh, a good play. So the first thought is I got to get book two out 
get it written. And once it gets to uh, the editing stage, then I can go back and figure out what I want to do audiobook on uh, book one. Okay. Um, before we let you go, dear listener, we want to remind you, as we always do, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And who knows, you just might make a, a certain author, E.M. Hansel, squeal like a little girl. Um, he's super he's, he's super in love with those five-star reviews and people that yes. took the time to leave thoughtful comments. So, yes. you know, do your part, people. Yeah. Reading and writing, it's collaborative. So we write, you read, and we hope you review when you write those down too. Um, but, uh, Edward, as we wrap this up, can you tell listeners and viewers how they can find you? They can find me on, uh, emhansel.com. Uh, they can also look me up as Ed Hansel in, uh, Facebook. I do have a uh, Instagram account, uh, just started that. So there's not much there to it. Um, and also you can look me up, uh, Avalon found EM Hansel on, uh, on, uh, Amazon. All right. And you can find us, dear listener, at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast you can join us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades you can support the show over there for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. But uh, we wanted to thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the aforementioned Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. All right, Ed, thank you for stopping by. This was a lot of fun, and we'll have to have you back sometime. Absolutely. I'd love it. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak on your uh, podcast, too. So, All right. Well, you guys have a lovely evening, and dear listener, 